Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Today we've got uh, Adam Johnson on the podcast. We're, we're talking Gaza. Adam's a, uh, a journalist, podcaster at uh, Citations Needed, I believe the podcast is called. And Excellent he, podcast. Very good. Highly recommend. He's uh, written for The Nation, um, Jacobin, and, and many other places. And yeah, so we're just, you know, talking a little bit about the state of the war, you know, what, what the, um, you know, U.S. Uh, position is, the orientation of the various um, parties and the, and the whole region. And, uh, ooh, it's, it's not it's, looking it's great. Rough. It's not good, folks. It's, uh, if you haven't been paying attention, uh, your psychological health is probably better than ours, but um, it's, it's bad. It's not good. And, um, and Adam does a great job in the pieces we'll link to and in, in the episode discussing and debunking um, the many lies from, from Israel uh, about the purpose of the war and what's been going on on the ground and debunking lies of U.S. politicians in the Biden administration um, to cover up their c- complicity and everything. Yep. Um, yeah. But- and we even get to the, the kind of uh, uh, university president firing at Penn and, and some of that stuff at the end as well. Yeah, not firing, but she stepped stepped down. But more sorry, as, well, forced, um, kind of yeah, forced resignation, yeah. bullied out by one of the worst Republicans in Congress, Elise Stefanik. Um, but yeah, that that will all be forthcoming. Um, but before we get to the to the interview, I just got to remind everyone, uh, as usual, that this podcast is now uh, sponsored by the American Prospect Magazine. At uh, $10 a month, you can get our uh, bonus episodes every other week and a, f- a free digital subscription to the uh, magazine. Um, at $5 a month, you get our bonus episodes. Um, and uh, otherwise, you can just enjoy the free content. Um, rate and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts if you wish. But otherwise, let's just get to our interview with Adam Johnson right now. Hi, Adam. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for for coming on short notice. Um, so we wanted to talk mainly to you about you know the war in Gaza. Obviously, that's kind of occupying everyone's mind at the moment. But but maybe we could sort of kick things off with a with just a little bit of background on what's been going on. Um, you know, basically we had a we had a ceasefire. You know, and prior for for like over a weekend, basically it was like four days, and that was like a week and a half ago, something like that. Um, before that, the war um, had been mainly focused on northern Gaza, um, and since the ceasefire ended, uh, it's kind of changed uh, quite a bit. So, can can you um, talk about like facts on the ground at the moment? Well, yeah. So they they. They on October thirteenth. Well, obviously there was the the Hamas PIJ PFLP attack on October seventh, and then um, on October thirteenth, and they, of course they initially started bombing as is their playbook uh, when these things happen. This is of course was on it, from Israel's perspective unprecedented. They had, they had never had an attack that killed this many people, uh, roughly twelve hundred, roughly eight hundred civilians, four hundred non civilians. Because you know, historically, twenty you know twenty fourteen I think it was like six people twenty twenty one was like five. It's usually an average. So this was unprecedented from their perspective. Uh, from Palestinians' perspective, of course, this that level of killing is quite normal. In fact, roughly fourteen hundred people died. Low estimates in uh, Operation Protective Edge in twenty fourteen. So um, then on October thirteenth, the uh, Israelis issued an evacuation order for all of northern Gaza, specifically Gaza City. And um, created a kind of demarcation line. Um, and then pretty much anybody after a certain amount of time would be viewed as being per se a quote unquote terrorist if they were in northern Gaza. Uh, they've dropped in the first 45 days, they dropped 22,000 bombs, all of which were made in the United States, killing 14,500. Since then, the number's gone up to almost 18,000. I think it's probably where it's about right now, um, which is obviously a lot. It's a lot more than 1,200. Um, and then they're now uh, turning their sights more towards southern Gaza, although they've also been bombing that the whole time. So it's not quite as as kind of binary. 
Um, their ground forces are in northern Gaza. They've they've lost apparently quite a few, depending on reports. Some somewhere around four hundred to one thousand. Uh, it's hard to tell. Israel, Israel doesn't really release how many people died, <clears throat> but we know that they're invading. Forces have suffered uh, significant casualties proportionate to, um, what, again, what historical when they, in 2014, and, and they kind of did a half-ass invasion of Gaza and then withdrew. Um, and so right now they're, 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 they're basically trying to push 2.2 million people into a internment camp tent city situation, despite the fact that uh, aid organizations are not quite there yet or not working on getting there. Uh, the size of Heathrow Airport in the West, um, Mawasa, which is kind of north, just north of the Gazan or the Egyptian border uh, near the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and then everything else, um, which they've also bombed that, by the way. So even though they said that was like the one number one big time safe zone, they went and had to bomb it anyway. And so they're telling people, um, you know, don't go here, go there. And then they bombed them, which I think led to one of the more Onion-esque uh, Reuters headlines where it says, you know, Israel, I think I'm paraphrasing here, forgive me, I don't have it in front of me, but it was... Israel tells people to go uh, to safe zones and then bombs them, I think was effectively what it said. So right now they're just kind of doing a, they're just bombing everybody. They don't really seem to, these safe, quote unquote, safe zones are mostly pretextual or kind of for or cosmetic for consumption in Western audiences. Um, there isn't really a place that's safe. Um, and that's kind of the where we are now. They're killing roughly 350 to 550 people a day, um, almost all civilians. They are Israel indexes any male, I think, between the ages of 16 and I think 50 something as Hamas, quote unquote. So they're sort of doing what it, what the United States used to do uh, in Afghanistan and Pakistan, where any quote unquote military age male is killed is seen as per se, it's a quote unquote terrorist. Um, so that's kind of where we are now. And the piece I wrote is that the goal is to sort of make Gaza unlivable and to promote the mass uh, uh, expulsion of Palestinians from Palestine. Uh, everything, I think, makes sense through that lens. It's also what they said they were going to do. It's also what Benjamin Netanyahu is uh, reportedly, according to Israeli media, uh, lobbying Congress to do. And Israeli media also says that Egypt is not open to the idea, which I thought was inevitable, uh, which is to say, push Palestinians, Gazans, if you will, into large internment camps in tent cities, which again is what they said they were going to do on day one, um, into tent cities just over or, or on the border of Egypt for eventual uh, quote-unquote resettlement to other countries. What that number is, uh, is to be determined. I think they're doing it in stages. Uh, I don't think they quite know what the kind of final uh, situation is because I think a lot of it's going to be determined on the battlefield. Um. And I think that so, but I think they're definitely setting the table for, I mean, because we know in northern Gaza, they 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 engaged in um, uh, mass forcible population transfers because they, they said they were going to do it and then they went and did it. So there was 1.1 million people in northern Gaza. There's now, I think, according to Israel, uh, tens, a few tens of thousands left over who are there, who, again, who are they are treating uh, hostily per se. There was a CNN producer who had nine members of his family killed. In Gaza City, and um, an Israeli spokesman went on CNN, and, and Jake Tapper, of all people, who, who was like, "I don't understand. They're not Hamas." And he's like, "Well, they were in Gaza City." So that's kind of the state of play right now. If you're if you're if you exist yeah. as a Palestinian in Palestine and, and pretty much anywhere, you're viewed as per se a, a, a. And I think a lot of this, and we we can get into this, but I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that liberal American media or centrist media is defining Hamas as one thing, but in Israeli leadership and Israeli media, they're absolutely not using that definition. They're using a much, 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 much broader definition. And I think most of them probably use the definition of they're all Hamas. And this category error is leading to people talking about totally different things. Yeah. Different language games going on, right? Like, you know, uh, Hamas as a specific organization that could actually be understood as the people involved with the military, uh, bureaucratic and administrative uh, centers, or Hamas as a proxy for all Palestinians in the area. Um, and, and and I think the hunt for Hamas narrative only makes sense, as you say, in in terms of that broadened definition, because they're either extremely effective in what their goal is, which is ethnic cleansing 
uh, enforced transfer of the entire population and and just massive co- collective punishment. Um, or they're extremely ineffective because the other piece here is if they're actually hunting for Hamas in the way that would uh, make sense in terms of a normal definition of Hamas as the actual people in the organization, then this is extremely ineffective what they've been up to for two months, right? Yes, assuming you, yeah, assuming one accepts the premise that needless Palestinian civilian deaths are bad, I, I think they probably just don't give a shit. Um, so yes, either they're the most wanton, you know, military. Or, or, or they view everybody as kind of either Hamas or Hamas adjacent or Hamas or proto Hamas. Either way, it doesn't really sort of matter because they, they, they're not really making much of a distinction. And again, we know that because from day one, they cut off the water, the fuel, electricity and food. You don't you don't do that if you're not engaging in moral moral frameworks that 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 ha- that believe in collective punishment. So once you accept the premise of collective punishment. Yeah, uh, where you create true. a where you create a system where people are thrown off dialysis machines and babies are thrown off 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 incubators because you don't have any power, then everything else kind of follows from that. You don't one does not need to like find a that's right a, a PowerPoint presentation explaining the ethnic cleansing policy. Although we do have one now, they they were shopping a literal PowerPoint presentation explaining how they were going to quote unquote resettle Palestinians in Congress. Uh, screen caps of which can be found. Uh, in Israeli media, although no American media except for Ryan Grimm has actually picked up on it, uh, which is strange because you would think that if the leader of the country were sending $14 billion to had it, was shopping around an ethnic cleansing plan, you'd, it would be more prominent in media, but it, it's, it hasn't been. And I know some reporters are trying to follow up on it from kind of more progressive or alternative media, but uh, no, there's a PowerPoint going around. Uh, no one's denied it. It's been confirmed um, that Netanyahu has sent Ron Dermer, who's this kind of point man on, in, on U.S. Capitol Hill. Where they're saying basically the United States needs to lean on Arab countries, quote unquote, Arab countries to resettle Palestinians um, because in their minds, and this has been the case for many years, all Arabs are kind of interchangeable they're, because there's no such thing as Palestinians. There's no such thing as Palestine. So they may as well live. They're all frustrated Jordanians or frustrated Syrians or frustrated Lebanese um, or frustrated. Uh, uh, so wasn't it wasn't it the. Um cabinet minister of agriculture that called it a, a second Nabka, like the Gaza Nabka. Right? Yeah. 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 I said he was, he said it was, he said it was Nakba. Uh, Nakba, uh, Nakba uh, it's okay. He said it was Nakba 2023. Uh, no, I mean, there's several genocidal statements one can point to. Um, I mean, the, this is not a, again, even the New York times wrote up all the genocidal statements. And after that piece published about a month ago, there's been several more, Again, we have a genocidal PowerPoint, so I, I'm not sure how much clearer we can that they that they can make it that their goal is to, and the term that was used, and this was translated from Hebrew, but apparently it's, it is a correct translation, is to quote unquote thin out the population to a minimum uh, was the term they used. So while they may not get rid of all 2.2 Palestinians, I think the goal is to get rid of probably most of them. Um, there's been plans in far right and right center circles for many many years to basically try to push Gazans into Egypt or have Egypt take over the second, the lower half of Gaza, and then basically turn this, the Northern half into a demarcation zone. It's called a, uh, or rather a, a demilitarized zone. It's called uh, the three state solution and basically, or the rather the third state solution. And the goal is to, sorry, not three state solution rather. Sorry. Let me rephrase that back it up. I was figure that, that goofy Noah Smith piece. <laughs> it is called, it is called the new state solution rather. And it is, um, creates a, Palestinian state, quote unquote, on the Sinai, which is to say they just send them all to Egypt to make make it Egypt's problem, uh, and then and then annex the West Bank, and then they have demographic um, superiority of about two to one. Whereas right now with Gaza, they have a it's about fifty fifty, um, if not a little less than fifty percent. So that way they can sort of maintain a quasi democracy while having a, a sort of permanent racial uh, second class or uh, ethno rather second class status and. Um, this fits along those lines. I, who knows if that's the fi- that's the actual plan that's been settled right now? I, I assume that my goal is they want to get they're putting themselves in a position to do something like that, but are not necessarily decided on it. But certainly, everything they've done thus far is more aligned with ethnic cleansing than any kind of targeted, which is what makes all the like liberal Henry from J Street and Ro Khanna and Bernie Sanders about how they need to like do a more targeted approach. And it's like, yeah, but that's not the word they're doing. So. No. Probably, in fact, should... they are doing targeted assassinations. So they have the ability to target specific apartments yes. and buildings. Yes. Because they will they will mm-hmm. do that to kill like poets and scholars and uh, old women. But, uh, but yeah. then they'll also take out entire buildings just because, you know. Yeah. No, they don't. Um, 
you know, from their perspective, they think that it's it's there's not really a difference, and and they've they've, they've again they've effectively said as much since the beginning. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I you know, watching some of these, you know, people say they have a right to defend themselves, which is always what you say right before you say something super evil. You sort of do these kind of rote cliches about right to defend themselves. Um, stand your ground. Also, you know, you have to stand your ground right, right before you, you murder. Uh, <laughs> even though, even, even though occupying militaries, uh, legally speaking, do not actually have a right to defend themselves uh, within Israel proper. They, you know, legally, you could say they do, but but when, within the context of of the West Bank or Gaza, they 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 very much do not have a right to defend themselves in any kind of, in the sense that they can go carpet bomb their occupying power. So for for obvious reasons, right? Because then you could just invade a country and then they fight back and you say, we have a right to defend ourselves, right? Russia doesn't have a right to defend themselves in Ukraine, right? You don't have a right to defend yourself in a country you invaded. It's sort of not how it works. Um, and so um, that's kind of where we are right now. And I, I sort of try to make that argument in my piece um, that, that, that a better framework to look at it was uh, depopulation. You know, if people find words like ethnic cleansing or, or genocide too, you know, charged or too problematic or whatever, um, even though I think they're both accurate, um, then I think view, view, viewing it as forcible population transfers, which is a sub subset of ethnic cleansing and a subset of genocide, I think is maybe a more uh, anodyne or more kind of medical way of looking at it. And that is, that is absolutely what's happening. Yeah, I... Um... <clears throat> By way of comparison, you know, I, I thought it would be interesting, you know, to look at like ar arguably the most infamous battle of the Iraq War, which was the Second Battle of Fallujah in uh, 2004, I believe. And that's when, of course, the United States military used uh, white phosphorus munitions, you know, these notorious uh, uh, chemical sort of um, liquid fire that will that yeah. can't be put out with water. Um, very, very dangerous to any, if it, you know, touches you, melts your flesh, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, according to international observers, um, that, you know, it was about a six week battle, uh, very hard fighting, you know, across the whole city of Fallujah. And it killed, uh, somewhere between maybe five to 700 civilians. Um, you know, and like, that's not great. Like, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, it's not, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 a, a, a great outcome. Um, of course, you know, and it obviously was part of a illegal war of an, a war of aggression, but you know, they didn't, they didn't kill so many people because they, they tried to get all the civilians out before the battle started. It was basically trying to convince people to leave and, and like opening up all the, you know, roads and stuff like that. And like even that modicum of care, you know, like basically cut down the, the casualties a, a tremendous amount. And Israel's killing that many people roughly every two days. And the reason is, as you've been explaining, is because they have nowhere to go. And wherever they go, they get bombed anyways. And so, you know, it's like the, the like if you are exceeding the George W. Bush war on terror rate of civilian casualties by like a hundred a factor of a hundred or something like that. Um you know, that's just a, a, a nightmare of, of indescribable proportions. My, my question, um, about this though, uh, uh, Adam is, you know, what's your read on the actual, you know, how serious is Egypt actually about taking in this, um, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands or even millions of, you know, penniless refugees? I would think, you know, the, the, the Egyptian economy is in shambles. Um, the, the dictator Sisi is not, uh, leading a particularly well consolidated regime, at least it seems to me. And that if I were him, I would want a million refugees, like I want a hole in the head. You know, this is a kind of thing that, that can cause terrible instability. Well, that, that's why they, have, that's why they have to effectively bribe him. I mean, the U.S. has tremendous power over things like, you know, obviously loans, aid, money, IMF. Um, um, this is why Israel's playing this angle. I don't think anyone, because Sisi has said quite explicitly, he's not going to do this for 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 you know eight eight nine weeks now. He says I'm not going I'm not going to aid in the bed the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, which is why other quote unquote Arab leaders, many of whom again are dictators, they're American puppets, they don't have a lot of legitimacy, a lot of them, but they're not they're not going to openly betray the Palestinian cause, which is obviously very, very much in the hearts of, of the quote unquote Muslim world. They're not, they're not, it's why Saudi Arabia, 
which is like run by a bunch of stone cold cokehead killers. Like even they're not even trying to like they're being a moderating force here in some ways because they, they they to have any legitimacy, you can't just be seen as a total stooge of the U.S. and 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 Israel. You just can't, right? And so the reports coming out of that Egypt may be open to this are not confirmed yet. It's mostly through Israeli right wing Israeli media. I had a report last night actually, and so I'm I'm sort of curious where it's going to go. So I can't speculate. Um, my guess is the goal is to sort of make it so where they have no option and it can be framed because it's all about framing. It's all about, you know, the trail of tears are for here are, are being framed into the Sinai are being framed as a humanitarian corridor, right? Uh, the, the internment camps are being framed as a humanitarian safe space or humanitarian safe zone. And we're working on actually doing an episode on this for the, for my podcast. Cause it's like, everything has to have this Orwellian connotation because if you explain it as ethnic cleansing, uh, which again, deep, massive population transfers are by making Gaza, because the, the way they try to frame it in Israel is basically like, we're going to have this quote unquote hunt for Hamas. And then in doing so, we're going to make Gaza uninhabitable. So according to the economist, nor- Northern Gaza is not going to be inhabitable for many years. That is what, that is what they said. That is, what is the sort of scientific consensus? Cause you can't live in rubble. You remember all the nine 11 respiratory illnesses? Yeah. Take that, multiply that by about a hundred by a thousand. And that's what Gaza is. You can't live there. There's no, they're, they're raising farms. They're raising uh, greenhouses. They're blowing up uh, mosques, churches. There's no, you can't, you, you know, government buildings. There is no Northern Gaza anymore and there won't be for several years. You can't live there. So if they're now the supposedly they're doing the South Gaza with the North Gaza, the Gaza will not be inhabitable. And then you turn around as the, as the, uh, there was an op-ed in the Jerusalem post by the Israeli um, intelligence minister who says, oh, well, we're going to volu- they're going to make it voluntarily resettlement, right? But if I, if I make your, your 140 square mile uh, land and uh, totally uh, unable to operate in as a, as a, as a, a human life, right? How voluntary is that resettlement? It's not, there's a word for that. It's called ethnic cleansing. And their goal, I think is to make it uninhabitable, which they pretty much are 60, 70% there to force people into these internment camps on the Egyptian border or close to the Mediterranean sea. And they'll say, oh, we have to do that to, you know, we drop leaflets. They always like to say, we drop leaflets. Yeah, well, the United States dropped leaflets on Hiroshima and Nagasaki five days before they dropped an atom bomb. It doesn't make it okay. Um, that doesn't mean anything. That's sort of a, that's a, that's a, that's a, a sort of indulgence, a kind of moral indulgence that Americans do to, and the Israelis do to make themselves feel better before they destroy a place. Um, and so then they say, well, then there's going to be really nowhere for them to live. And then I think, because I, I, I think for now, at least Israel doesn't really, Gaza's never had a lot of religious or cultural significance to Israel. It's not like the West Bank. It's not holy per se uh, for the religious cranks that, that are there. Um, so my guess is they'll probably leave it largely as a kind of demilitarized zone and then probably end up settling it later. Because um, again, the far, far right wanted to settle it a long time ago. In fact, they did settle it up until 2005. Um, and I think that that is um, uh, if it, then, then they need to frame it as a kind of voluntary resettlement. That's going to be a very hard sell. The White House has repeatedly said that you're not going to support forcible population transfers. That's been somewhat contradicted by reports about the U.S. entertaining the idea of opening because they'll frame it as a humanitarian corridor to Egypt, right? But then there's this issue of, well, is this temporary or not? You know, because again, some Palestinian uh, activists have called for a humanitarian corridor to Egypt because they need to get medical aid and they need to get, um, they need to not be bombed. They won't be bombed in Egypt, whereas everywhere is being bombed in Israel. Uh, but with a very hard and fast UN and American sanctioned promise to come to come back, a right of return. Because the last time they said they had a right of return, they just left and never came back, right? In 48. Um, and then a lot of places in 67. So, um, there's, there's very little belief that if they did actually let the people into Egypt for humanitarian reasons, that without some kind of American, uh, some kind of American assurances that was set in stone rather than kind of vague timetables, um, that they would ever come back because they, they wouldn't come back. So my guess is that's kind of how it'll be framed. Um, because I don't think they necessarily need to get rid of, I think they want to, again, based on their comments and stuff I've seen, I, I would say they, they're, the Northern Gaza is never going to come back. I don't think that, that that's ever going to come back. They may have a kind of quasi-Sinai, South Gaza combo state situation that they hand over authority to Egypt, uh, even though the U.S. says it's not going to happen. But the U.S. says a lot of things it's not going to happen that have happened. The U.S. <laughs> supposedly... It's 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 tricky, right? Because it's already even went before northern Gaza was destroyed. It's already the most densely populated place on Earth, right? This 
this, you know, uh, basically outdoor prison camp um, to take two and 2.2 million people now and like move them all to Southern Gaza. Um, and then I don't know what, 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 you know, the Sinai region, how big that would be, but like, it was already a problem uh, to have a habitable living space uh, in the area that was, and now who knows how much of the South they're going to destroy. Right. Yeah. I mean, they had them locked up in a prison for, you know, 15, 16 years, uh, you know, destroy their airport. They can't leave. They don't have control over, again, as we've seen, they don't have control over electricity, food, fuel, or, you know, what goes in, what goes out. I mean, a lot of the tunnels that Hamas builds, um, they, you know, for many years, they've served a dual purpose of smuggling in goods. That's how Hamas gains legitimacy and funds itself. They bring in KFC and Pizza Hut from Egypt. And, right, right. Yeah. And, um, and, and like, that's just not a way to live. I mean, it's just not a way for people to live. Um, it hasn't been for some time. Everyone knows this. And this is why, you know, rallying around the, the, the ceasefire demand is such a broad, big tent, liberal, no brainer demand. I know. That, it's so frustrating. It, that includes everybody from, you know, <laughs> Uh, all of Palestinian society and and um, uh, Sidney McCain. I mean, this is this is a no brainer kind of big tent liberal demand. Obviously, where you go after that is m totally different, and if people have different prescriptions and different positions on that. But you know, s stop killing a child every ten minutes seems like a pretty reasonable moral injunction. And that's, I think, why it's been settled on. And watching people oppose that and concern troll that and move away from that, I think, has exposed a lot of, a lot of bad politics. Yeah. I, but that, by the way, that's not flip. That's the math. A child every ten minutes is the math. That's no, that's it's not, not flip. just a, that, is, that is people actually yeah. run. That's actually probably less than that now because they it, uh, after since the quote unquote truce ended on November thirtieth, uh, um, twenty nine, whatever time uh, time zone you were in. Uh, the death toll has gone up 40%. The rate of death has gone up 40% since before the truce. So it's gotten much worse, even though supposedly Blinken keeps telling him to lower the civilian rates. Uh, he's, there's, there's been, I, I counted, I think it was October, October 19th, October 30th, November 3rd, November 10th, November 29th, December 6th. Yeah. All of those were ignored because it's not real. Of course, it's all theater for domestic consumption in the United States. United States knows exactly what they're doing with those bombs. They know exactly where they, they just, the Washington Post reported that the State Department has done no contemporaneous inquiries into whether or not any of these bombings have uh, violated international law. So they're not even bothering to look. Uh, typically because governments don't investigate themselves for war crimes, right? Like people try to, people like, people love to have this kind of, United States is simultaneously a funding and arming one side, but it's also this kind of quasi neutral actor where they're like, well, why is the Biden administration not investigating war crimes in Israel? It's because they're implicated in the war crimes. Why would they do that? Like they're not a third party. Like they're, they're buddies. They go to their, they're in this together. They provide intelligence support. They're supposedly American troops that are just, you know, aiding and assisting not in Gaza, but, but in Israel. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not holding my breath that anyone's going to sort of fake like they care about any of this stuff. I mean, 22, again, those numbers that the Washington Post reported last night, 22,000 bombs and 140 square uh, miles uh, in, in less than six weeks is mind boggling. I mean, that is an unprecedented amount of bombing and, and mass death that is by definition indiscriminate. You cannot discriminately drop 22,000 bombs on 140 square miles and in, 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 in less than uh Less than uh, seventy-five days, and and yet, so the Sorry, ceasefire forty-five days. 45 days. The, the ceasefire demand, which seems like, I mean, you couldn't have a floor lower than that. And no, it couldn't be. It couldn't be more obvious to no, any they're not, outside. Of, they're not like, asking to dis dismantle apartheid or the occupation or, or give equal rights. No, it's literally just stop killing on mass. Yeah. And so then our, our, you know, the most left president we've ever had, apparently, his administration won't call for that. And neither will Bernie Sanders, frankly. Um, and and so you wrote a piece about the arguments that are kind of propping up that ridiculous claim that 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 uh, uh, well, a ceasefire won't work anyway or or calls for a ceasefire aren't yeah. uh, the, the right thing to do. Right. Well, the 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 claims vary based on the needs of the moment. So 
the problem with Bernie Sanders not calling for a ceasefire is not so much I'm not calling for a ceasefire. That's sort of typical partisan loyalty and cowardice that one would expect. It's that he demagogues against the idea of one. He said he says it's impossible. You cannot have a ceasefire. I think he said something effective with a terrorist group like Hamas, um, which is obviously not true. The that Israel and Hamas have, have had ceasefires that have lasted several years. Now, where you go from that and how you build anything off of that is a different story. But both Israel and Hamas have violated ceasefires throughout the years. Uh, they've both held on to ceasefires for several years. There is absolutely nobody who believes that a ceasefire is not possible. That is not that is a thing that was made up a week after October 7th. That is not, I, I, my entire years and years observing this conflict, quote unquote, I've never seen this idea that a ceasefire is impossible. And they say, well, October 7th changed change things. And it's like, um, no, it doesn't actually. It doesn't change anything. The same fundamental players are there, the same fundamental – and they say, well, how can they forgive them? They killed 1,200 people. Well, Israel killed 1,400 civilians, including 531 children in 2014. And guess what? They engaged in a ceasefire. So what the fuck are you talking about? And this idea that – because again, they needed, they needed to hand wave it away. They can't argue on substance that a ceasefire is not good or bad. So what they say is it's irrelevant. Uh, and then, of course, you have the Biden can't do it. I wrote a piece in the lever about this. Biden keep, Biden has no power. Again, something that nobody actually believes. That's sort of a fake thing you say to kind of uh, hand wave away the the because you don't want to argue the substance of a ceasefire. Um, but of course, if you look at the recent uh, um, weapons transfers for 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 tank and artillery shells that that, that the White House did, they 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 are reloading their artillery every almost on a daily basis. That Israel, without U.S. Get, sending them weapons. Well, would not be able to fight a war for more than maybe three or four days. Um, they cannot, they cannot take a piss without asking our permission. That is one of the perks of being a, a again an empire, uh, the largest military ever, having a trillion dollar military budget. Is that a small country like Israel? I know a lot of people like to think Israel is this powerful, all menacing thing, but they're they're, they're actually quite poor and they're quite weak uh, relative to Palestine. They are relative to other countries. They're they're not very they're not very strong. Their economy is not that huge. Um, and their military requires to, a constant replenishment because they're fighting as if they are a global empire uh, in terms of how much, how much how, their their advanced weaponry, their their you know their parts, their maintenance, their upkeep, their F thirty fives, and like that the, the, the that obviously they could call a ceasefire whenever they wanted to. So what the calculus they made is that they're going to let Israel kind of finish off what they're doing. That they're in for a penny, they're in for a pound. They're kind of pot committed and. It, however messy things get PR wise, they're just going to keep doing the, you know, Blinken sends them another memo saying, hey, buddy, would you mind not killing as many toddlers today? And then they say, fuck you, go away. And he goes, OK. Um, and this is the dynamic they're going to the kind of uh, dynamic they're going to indulge in for the next while they do their finish up their ethnic cleansing campaign over the next month. And um, and to be clear, Biden, as you write himself in 2021 <laughs> with one phone call, stopped Netanyahu from the bombing of Gaza. Back because they then, can't, they can't do yeah. anything without American weapons. They, I mean, much less you know the the the, the you know the aircraft carriers they scramble the the U.S. military bases in Syria, the U.S. military bases in Iraq, the U.S. military. I mean, they can't. They're just a small country. I mean, they really are. And uh, everybody knows this. This is not a controversial statement. It, 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 it's just people faking like they don't know this. So, like the U.S. could turn the tap off whenever they wanted to. Everybody knows it. Israel knows it. Israel says it all the time. Um, and the reality is they just agree. You know, there's this whole idea that Biden is somehow doing this super secret, lower Dvorak, triple Lindy, uh, you know, double, 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 double agent where he's secretly preventing civilian you know, deaths behind the scenes. And it's like, there's no evidence of that. He just agrees. He's just a Zionist and he agrees. And they have a shared ideology of colonial supremacy. And, and uh, they, you know, they they agree. He agrees with it. There's, I, there's zero evidence. You know, you could say, oh, well, they... To the extent to which they have any objections, it's largely optics. It's largely PR. It's stop making us look bad. This is embarrassing. Um, and I remember when they people were trying to give Biden all this credit for like delaying the ground invasion. And then the Washington Post just kind of casually reported out that the ground invasion was delayed because the US needed more time to prepare. It wasn't some like humanitarian thing. It was just they needed to prep their troops in the Negev Desert and Syria and, and, and the Mediterranean. So Again, I, I uh, if if Biden has some super secret lower Dvorak triple Lindy, uh, eleven dimensional uh, secret plan to end the war, um, I think I would reveal it before eight thousand children died, not afterwards. So 
I don't know what the plan is supposed to be. The reality is, of course, he just supports it. He thinks it's justified. I think the, the I think the liberal foreign policy establishment um, is is deluding itself in some ways in terms of buying this hunt for Hamas narrative. Even though, again, this is not the narrative that is popular or exists within Israel itself. And a lot of this has to do with the semantics game between what do we mean when we say Hamas? Because Israel just means something different. And liberals sort of don't want to think about it too much. Um, and that's why you have all these dissent memos and ex-staffers. I mean, this is obviously all this is very unprecedented. People saying, what the fuck are we doing here? This is madness. This is ethnic cleansing. Um, like textbook ethnic cleansing. And we're a party to it. Yeah, as you say, you know, it's like at, at the end of the day, it it almost, you know, in intentions, you 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 whatever intentions you have, it's like this this is the facts on the ground. It's like like the 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 Gaza is being reduced to a smoldering crater that will be unlivable. Um so something I want to mention I, I wanted to discuss real briefly is is uh the condition of Sinai. It's like like if you're if if you're uh going to like created like shove some percentage of this population into Egypt like that the logical location would be right there in the Sinai like what kind of uh place is this i mean from what i've read it's just like trackless desert almost all of it especially I mean, the- it, yeah it would require a substantial um american and 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 un and saudi arabia i mean everybody would have to send tremendous resources to basically keep people alive I, the goal would be to move them out as soon as possible um, I think the agreement would be that most of them would leave, um, yeah. resettle them to Europe, North America. Cause I mean, you gotta remember during the, during this, during the Syrian war, which is in many ways still kind of ongoing, but, um, I mean, Lebanon took in 1 million refugees on a population of, of 3 million. Yeah. Uh, Turkey, I think took, took another million. So these, this, they from Israel's perspective, there's precedent here to them. Again, all Arabs are interchangeable. Yeah, there's right. no there's no such thing as a Palestinian. It would be like me moving from you know Kansas to Missouri. It's not a big deal. They need to get over it. The Nakba is over. Move on. This is what they say, right? And so their perspective, they're saying, well, they can go live in Egypt. They can go live in Iraq or Yemen, which is the main countries. This PowerPoint that that Ron Dermer is handing around, that's being apparently lobbied by Representative Joe Wilson. Uh, that they're sort of interchangeable Arabs, and they have no culture. They have no connection to the land. They, um, this is the sort of internal mythology you know, of, of Zionism. And so, uh, from their perspective, it wouldn't, would not be that big of a deal. They would sort of just, cause again, I, it's not, you say words like genocide, people think, oh, well, they're not putting them in, you know, they're not putting them in, you know, they're not executing them on mass. And it's like, well, sort of they are with bombs, but even if you sort of set that aside, you're, you're, they want them gone, whether they die of disease or, or, or cholera or smallpox or, or they go somewhere else. They just want them gone, which is, which again, is actually the origin of what genocide is really about. Like the, the executions right. are just one extreme mean right. to that end. It's never actually, um, I mean, it's far more rational than, than just irrational, crazy madness. It's, 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 it's purposeful. And, and, um, Nazis, obviously the Nazis obviously, uh, cared very much about like pushing people out and doing all kinds yeah. of other means before they had the, the mass, uh, gas chambers. And so, yeah, forth. they, they, they believe them, they view them as being ontologically, uh, a threat. They are, they are a demographic threat by their very nature. Um, because they're it's in also their- harder it's harder to murder all of them frankly than it is to get them to leave so let's just not forget that it's, it's well, not that too it's not like- yeah <laughs> it's also like because what, what, what's a popular thing all these like glib like tough guys like to say it's like well if israel wanted to commit genocide they, the war would have been over on october 8th and some of these things you say they could just nuke them all and it's like but you can't like you have to no, no. <laughs> because there's <laughs> there is such thing as international opinion and american opinion which you need by the way to survive and you're going to go right up to that edge of that line and you're going to push it. But just because you go up to that edge and you do it slowly over three or four or five months does not mean that you're not take going as high as you can go. Um, and again, they are taking it to an extreme that I think even the most cynical observer did not think they would take it to. That this was that what happened on October 7th was a paradigm shift, that this was this was this the shock to the country. It was, you know, it was their 9-11 in many ways. Remember all the, you know, tough guy, crazy stuff the US did after 9-11. Um and that they're still in that mode and um, they just view it. They view it as this is going to be it. We're done. We're done with these people. And Gaza is always been 
less 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 far more difficult to subjugate than the West Bank because they have their little Vichy you know Vichy PA government and they have their you know they can occupy that militarily it's more manageable uh, they they've turned it they've spli- sliced and diced up the land such that it is the Palestinian land such that it is in, in a way that they there's no contiguous landmass um they can't go from A to B without going through six different checkpoints um again the government's deeply corrupt very unpopular um they keep they keep they keep trotting out Mahmoud Abbas even though he has less credibility uh in Palestine than than some guy off the street uh you know so I think their their logic is let's just get rid of it while we have the moral while we have the kind of and that's why they have to keep kind of manufacturing all these different um crises around like because they have to sort of reestablish a victim status and they say, you know, don't forget October 11th, October 7th, don't forget October 7th. It's like, well, yeah, like we're not forgetting it, but like yeah, whatever right. kind of whatever kind of eye for an eye medieval logic of recompense that may exist, if you accept that, like you just arbitrarily kill 800 or 1,000 or 1,200 civilians as, as payback, which has always been the logic of these back and forth from, you know, cast led to, to protective edge to the March of Return or whatever, 20, 2021. That we're way past that. We're way, 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 way past that. We're now at a ratio of fifteen to one, or or thirteen to one. So we're, again, you throw in disease and people under rebel. I'm sure it's closer to twenty to one. And I don't want to under I don't want to underestimate how much everyone's aware of that. That's that it's bullshit, and that what's going on is just uh, you know uh, some of the worst mass death that we've seen uh, ever in the rate that it's going. Um, but you still, and you have like what 60% at least of, uh, Americans support a ceasefire. Uh, if you look at the UN security council, only Great Britain, um, abstained and, and we are the, the sole country to vote against the, the demand for ceasefire. Um, but you go into a few of the rhetorical moves that are what the media is using and what politicians are using, right? You have Israel's right to defend itself, release the hostages first, and then, uh, kind of a, a shifting focus, avoiding the question and moving towards like other humanitarian things, which we've well, kind of gone the, over. Right? The release the hostages one is the, is the, is the, is the most childlike because like Netanyahu has been very clear from day one that the, the hostages are a, fourth or fifth priority at best that they were not going to they were not going to let the hostage negotiations dictate how they quote unquote hunted or attacked or went to war on Hamas um and that he made very clear that if all the hostages could be turned over tomorrow it wouldn't change anything about what they're doing it would change nothing um at all so it's a non sequitur they don't give a shit i mean obviously they care in terms of domestic propaganda which is why they had the, pa- the quote unquote you know tr- humanitarian pause for a week or six days or whatever it was, but, um, which actually had a number of hostages released. So if that's actually the goal, they would have continued to do that. Right. Yeah. Correct. I mean, they'll say they'll blame Hamas, blah, 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 but that's bullshit. Everybody knows that, that if they wanted to, they could, they could re-engage in those discussions because they did it. They, they had exchanges. I think they needed to get some out for popular. They were getting a ton of pressure to get something out of it, uh, both from the, from the families and just general popular feeling within Israel. And and there was a propaganda win on both sides. So both both sides had an incentive to do hostage again. This is why Hamas takes hostages, because it's the only way they get people out of their prisons. Um, and they were getting them at a rate of three to one. <clears throat> of course, they ended up arresting almost the exact amount of people in the West Bank as they freed. So it actually ended up being a wash. But there's a, you know, it's a propaganda win nonetheless for both sides, which is why peace activists were pushing towards this framing in many ways, saying, let's, let's, let's get a ceasefire and have a, have some hostage exchanges here, or prisoner exchanges or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so everyone can save face. And the assumption is, is that Israel is not going to succeed. And it's, if, if one accepts the premise that Israel is not going to succeed at their ethnic cleansing policy, because they're going to, they're going to face way too much resistance within Gaza. Then that means they're going to just kill some arbitrarily high number of Palestinians, and we should end this sooner than later because you never want to be the last guy to die in a war. Um, it's it's just so. And so when Bi- when Blinken says you don't have, so Israel says we need quote many months unquote to finish this war to the their to regime change Hamas right, and then Blinken says well you only have a month. I'm going to give you to the I'm going to give you till till early mid January. That actually is deeply deeply cynical and sinister because if they can't achieve their political aim of regime change to the extent that's even possible i I actually don't think it is but assuming that we set their premise that that's their goal then why give them a month this is like an in for a penny and for a pound situation either you give them zero days or you give them quote unquote many months to give them four weeks to do what 
just do some more medieval revenge, kill some more Palestinians for no fucking reason. If it's just going to end up back to where we all know this is going to end up again, anything that isn't ethnic cleansing is just going to end with an arbitrarily high number of Palestinians killed and Hamas or some version of Hamas still in power. Uh, which is why a ceasefire has always been a no-brainer because in both of those scenarios, the war needs to end now. Quote, unquote, war. You can't even call it a war, right? Um, either ethnic cleansing is bad or or we're just going to kill you know, 15,000 children versus 8,000 children to get back to the same place we were going to, which is a ceasefire with Hamas and a return to some somewhat of the status quo. Increasingly, it looks like that may not happen. Increasingly, it looks like that it's just going to be an ethnic cleansing full, full blown. Because increasingly, there's simply nowhere to put people in Gaza because there's no longer a Gaza. What do you think uh, critics of the war, like what's the what's the sort of angle here, you know, to 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 what's the best argument to make or 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 people to put pressure on, you know, because like you can, you know, you like as you mentioned, the, the United States blocked, vetoed a, a, a resolution, you know, that the probably was pretty it was pretty meaningless at the end of the day you know no no like coercive force but just like calling for a ceasefire um you know so we're you know we're we're still backing israel to the hilt despite all of these you know uh, uh protests um and yet you know so you can make like a moral argument you could say like this is an atrocity then there's there's like maybe a more pragmatic argument to say that well, like this the pragmatic argument sorry i apologize i'm well, sorry for interrupting oh no worries that like this is a like strategic disaster for the Biden administration's like foreign policy, I would say, in terms of like a lot of their other stated goals. Like, I think it's un- inarguably distracting from y- Ukraine. You know, they want us they want to prop up Ukraine. Now that's tangled up in the whole Israel thing. And in some of the actual shells that were supposed to be earmarked for Ukraine, well, that's going to Israel now, some of them. And Ukraine supposedly is running out of ammunition um, in their, you know, an unending artillery duel with the Russians. Um, and then domestically, you know, like this is certainly putting a huge like wedge into the Biden coalition. You know, I think you look at Biden's atrocious polling, um, especially among young people. And like, I think Gaza certainly has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Um, and you're looking down the barrel of, you know, a just like deranged fascist, basically, uh, winning reelection and, you know, yep. so probably, um, or what, you know, winning his second, you know, non-continuous term, like, uh, like Grover C- Cleveland. Um, right. but you know, surely Biden doesn't want that. And like, so, so where do we press? I don't think Biden cares. I, I think, I think Biden's a lost cause. I think Biden is a, is, is a hardened Zionist. He believes in the war, quote unquote. I think he believes he probably has quite frankly, a very kind of cartoonish and racist view of the conflict. I think he, he's, he's in it. He's pot committed. Um, I think the pressure point for all the people I've talked about who, who are like actually trying to move the needle on Capitol Hill, uh, everything I've heard is that the calculus is very, very simple. And it's been this way since the beginning, the, the political cost of supporting the ethnic cleansing of Gaza has to be greater than the political upside from both partisan loyalty and also being punished by groups like APAC and even J street, J street said they would punish elected who called for a ceasefire. I think they may have backed off that a little bit, but initially that was their line. Um, and that's it. Pretty much nothing else beyond that matters. And um, the political pain point around ceasefire uh, has has is there. And it's, it's obvious. I think that's why most people either avoid it or they kind of try to support a ceasefire. Then you read the fine print. And you're like, wait, this isn't a supporting of a ceasefire. This is just asking Hamas to unilaterally surrender, which is not a realistic position. Um, and I think that that's the pain you have to, you have to punish people for making bad decisions. Otherwise you have no leverage, you have no power. Um, you can't just say, I'm going to check the box no matter what, unfortunately. Now, I don't think one should, I don't think one should wield that in any kind of institutional or collective way, uh, glibly. I think it's, that's a very serious thing to do. Um, I don't think one should do it over, you know, maybe modest ideological differences, but everybody has a red line. Everybody has a red line. Except Biden, yeah. no red lines. for No, well, except, sorry, right, except in that context. But everyone has a red line of what they won't vote for, right? And I think that many young voters, obviously Arab Muslim voters, uh, Palestinian voters, obviously, 
have said this is way beyond any red line you can have. And the only way that you can register that dissatisfaction is by not being a mindless lever puller for Biden in 2024. Uh, I don't electioneer. I don't tell people what to vote for or not to vote for, but I'm saying it's a perfectly credible moral position to have um, because everybody has red lines. And if Biden is banking on everyone, on them doing the whole, well, Trump, you know, because again, Trump Trump would do the same thing Biden's doing. He wouldn't have all the liberal hand wringing, but he would do the same thing. I, I don't think if there if Trump won in twenty twenty, any of this would have been any different. Um, again, I don't think we would have gotten all the all the all the crocodile tears and you know we need to reduce civilian casualties, liberal bullshit, which is probably like less annoying, but ultimately it would have been the exact same. Um, so I don't think there's any I don't think there's any and no one has any you know delusions that the the Trump would have somehow been better. He would have been more or less the same, I think, in every key way on this issue. Other issues, obviously, he would have been way worse. But on this issue, I think it would have been more or less the same. I'm not saying both parties are the same. I'm not doing the sort of, you know, glib like all parties. Not, but in this case, they pretty much are the same. That's okay to say that. And we know that because they say that. Um, but Trump's not an office. Biden's an office. And so unless Biden thinks there's serious, or rather, I should put it this way, unless people around Biden can establish that there's consequences, then they have no incentive to ever change course because they clearly don't care about Palestinian lives. They don't give a shit. They don't, they don't care. Uh, they think that they think the juice is worth the squeeze morally. They think, you know, they're they're buying into some of these kind of liberal, these kind of clever category errors about what isn't, what isn't Hamas. And it sort of sounds like they're doing a kind of zero dark 30 thing. And they're looking the other way while entire fucking city blocks are leveled. Um, but and this is why increasingly you're seeing chatter for Biden to step down, and, and most of the chatter doesn't come from the quote unquote left. It comes from people like David Ignatius, the sort of CIA spokesman at the Washington Post, saying Biden, it's time to turn it into old man. Uh, both because of the age issue, the polling looks bad, and also Gaza is just is is his Vietnam. It's just eating away at his any kind of any kind of. It's just it's it's it, you know even if it doesn't even if people will still say I'll technically vote for him like the, the you know the 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 and again there is some upside from other people who are pro Israel who he can kind of gain with that but he's not really going to gain a lot of that anyway all those most of those guys are voting for Trump anyway because uh, Netanyahu and Trump are, are best buddies so like I you know the downsides are tremendous um, I think the only way out of it is frankly for Biden to not run and you you see this. So is that where the pressure should be then, Adam, in terms of insofar as the threat of not voting for the Democrat uh, is is wielded to some effect now or in the near I, term? I, I mean, whether or not that's where it should be, that, that's all there is. What I think is right, relevant. Right. Well, <laughs> like, no, but what other leverage? Let me, let me be clear about what have. I meant. I guess here's what I meant. Uh, a while ago, maybe yeah. threatening Biden that we won't vote for you unless you do something differently. But he's fucked that up so much now that I think, because I guess that's the question. Is there something that his administration can still do that will save him? Uh, or yeah. is it just so far gone that the threat now is replace him or else Trump wins against uh, anyone? Look, I don't want to tell anyone how to feel. Obviously, people who are Palestinian are more impacted by this than some fucking, you know, snarky podcaster who lives in Chicago. So, you know, this is my personal opinion. I think anyone, you have to say that things can get, can be reconciled or improved. Otherwise they have no incentive to change. This is why when a, when a Senator or Congressperson moves to the ceasefire camp, you don't do the like, well, okay, you did this after 8,000 people died or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> and I, I'll say that, you know, maybe, but it, like you ultimately have Better to Better late than people. never. You have to reward them. You have to reward people. There's, there's no incentive. Then then everyone just gets locked into their kind of nihilistic, you know, Thanatos like positions. Yeah. And you don't want So that. maybe it's both. So maybe it's both. Both Biden can still rescue his own candidacy and there should be pressure for an alternate candidate. Something like I, that. Yes. And I think they know that. And I think that's why assuming that things go bad militarily for Israel, the number one thing also activists can start doing is building face-saving narratives for, for Biden and for Israel. And I think building those face-saving narratives is what, to the extent to which you can be a quote-unquote diplomat in the State Department and not be evil, that is the thing you can be doing right now that's not evil. Because like, how do you make it look like they're getting a win without... with? Because again, this when Saudi Arabia was getting their ass kicked in Yemen, and then they framed it as like a humanitarian bilateral gesture with the U.S. of of doing a a, a ceasefire there, effectively, and it was like fine, that was bullshit. They 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 stopped it because they were losing to to the Houthis, but we needed to give them a story to tell their people. So like, what story can Netanyahu tell his people? What story can Biden tell his people? 
that makes it look like they did something that was successful. Like pragmatically, that would be the goal right now, because I think that there's still a likelihood that there'll be some, it'll end with some arbitrarily high number of dead Palestinians and Hamas or some Hamas version of Hamas still effectively in power of whatever's left of Gaza. Um, and to the extent to which there's one, like a last minute Hail Mary or last minute flea flicker to, to, to prevent full-blown ethnic cleansing, that would be it. So I think that would be important too, in my opinion. Yeah, kind of a kind of a hail mary pass, you might say. I mean, especially with like the the filing deadlines uh, for for running in the primary, a lot of them have already passed or are coming up soon. Um, you could do a brokered brokered convention if he withdraws. If Biden withdraws, you could do something like that. But, yeah, you could. Um, but because uh, he, I mean, just as a practical matter, even if they replace Biden with someone else, it's probably going to be someone else who doesn't support a ceasefire. I mean, how many people are there, right? They're yeah, just they like, just, well, it's, uh, yeah. It, it would just be purely like he wasn't the guy doing the, yeah, let's send more, let's send more artillery shells to the genocide. Yeah, sure. Why not, buddy? Uncle Joe. What is it, uh, what is it now? Like up to 11% of Congress has uh, called for a ceasefire, something like that? Yeah, it's not very much. Um, yeah. Maybe in our <laughs> last uh, few minutes, we can, we could talk about this, uh, the pen president um, stepping down after this hearing with Elise Stefanik, uh, the the number four Republican in the House, uh, b- basically baited the president. What's her name? Liz yeah, McGill. What a, what a world. Yeah. So so you know she she was sort of baited into saying that like the words intifada or from the river to the sea are are calls for you know a, a genocide of all Jews in Israel. And then, you know, trying to do like, what is your speech policy that saying that, you know, it would have to like rise to the level of conduct and it, and it, you know, ended up in these sort of like bureaucratic contortions where it seemed, it sounded like, uh, McGill was sort of, uh, defending, you know, genocidal rhetoric. Um, but it seems like there, there's broadly like a sort of an, a, a building like kind of McCarthyism of, about supporting Palestine you know, on campuses where, you know, is Israel and Israel partisans like Stefanik's, you know, see that they're kind of losing the propaganda war in the media. You know, I mean, Jesus, he even like pull up the New York Times and the coverage is almost uniformly just like, look at these horrible, you know, massacres. And, uh, you know, if you can sort of like, like distract and make it, make it seem like everyone who's calling for a ceasefire or advocating for, for Palestinian human rights is actually a genocidal anti-Semite, like that's a very useful sort of like climate to create. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, the creation? It's, it's, it's it's all bullshit. I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly meant to distract. It's to contrive victim narratives where they don't exist. Um, to create some sense of, uh, it's, it's the Christopher Rufo playbook. It's just, it's just fire hose of bullshit. See what sticks. Now you have Congress, bipartisan Congress, by the Democrats are just called Republicans in this, even though it was a Republican committee that did it. Um, and you sort of do a McCarthyism. It's very much, it's very similar to the sort of manufactured anti-Semitism, uh, controversy around Jeremy Corbyn in Britain, where it's like, it's all smoke. There's no fire. When you actually go and you look at, because you, you, every single day it's like so and so needs to condemn such and such, and such and such needs to condemn this theoretical thing, and he didn't condemn the fact that he didn't condemn it, and then you look closely and you're like, wait, what? What is the original thing we're talking about here? And like, like this, this, <laughs> yeah, like, what, yeah. what was the, what was the right. actual thing in reality that caused this whole controversy? And what there is students say there isn't one. It's literally just a, it's literally hypothetical. just a, a hypothetical, and your condemnation of something that didn't exist while an actual genocide is actually going on. Um, which is twilight zone shit. We're in the twilight zone. It's twilight zone. And, 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 and because if, again, if you sort of say things like free Palestine from the river to the sea is a genocidal statement, then you open up a floodgates of, well, you, you know, then that means everybody's a, a pro committing genocide. And again, it's, it's, it's not really meant to make sense. It's supposed to just create a climate of fear. It's supposed to make people not want to speak up. It's supposed to bully academics because academics typically in our society are somewhat unlike other people or not as easily fireable uh, or assuming they're tenured and have a sort of, you know, position of influence that they don't like. And they need to, they need to weed those people out. They need to create a, a chilling effect and any of these kind of big time Head, you know, heads they can chop off. It's, it creates, it contributes to that, to that narrative and that chilling effect. And it's all meta. It's all, it's all 
theoretical. It's all sort of who did not condemn this person who may or may not have said something. And if you construe it in a certain way, it looks a certain way. And did you condemn that guy? And then his buddy, did you condemn his cousin? And you condemn this? And and it's, of course, it's all distraction. You know, And one thing I say is like, I don't like like distraction narratives, like Trump's just doing this. It's a distraction. It's like, no, like he, like oftentimes the distraction is actually like a real policy thing they want to do. And I'm not saying that like bullying college kids is not a long-term right-wing project and, and eroding things like, you know, uh, tenure and, and, and firewalls and, and freedom and academic independence is not a long-term right-wing project or bullying kids on activists on campus and, and shutting down Palestinian groups is these are, these are sort of things that are intrinsically valuable to these people. Uh, to, to to these right wing forces, but this is definitely like very much also a distraction because you're like the, all this stuff. The front page news, the top three stories uh, two days ago, were all New York Times were all about this controversy or whatever. And when we're talking about theoretical genocides, we're not talking about the actual genocide that's going on, which is why that's right. Yeah. My opinion is generally those who are trying to advocate for the end of this horrific bombing and siege of Gaza really need to stay focused. I'm not saying you don't fight the terrain where you need to, or you, especially if you're in that world, I get it, but generally like try not to get distracted with this bullshit because it is. No, that's a good point. What, what we talk about, and this is why this was just the end of the episode, not the full episode. What we talk about itself is a victory or loss, depending, right? Like, cause we, we need people to focus on the right things here. And so just it's because, just because of urgency and you do have limited resources. And yeah. like, again, I'm not saying that those, those, uh, uh, here's what I'd say. I'd say that the, pro-Israel groups and the pro-American empire groups are much more comfortable playing in the sandbox of, of wacky college kids than they are in toddlers being pulled out of rubble sandbox. Yeah, for sure. But you don't see, you know, Connor Friedersdorf and the libertarian free speech defenders, you know, weighing in to defend, right, the presidents that are getting fired here. Uh, go figure that, you know. Yeah, but, but all, all those guys are phony bullshit. Of artists. course. No, of course. Of, of course they are. But here's the other thing. There's a perfect storm with these presidents under attack here. And it's, Two things that occur to me. One is there's a parallel between like APAC and the and the Israeli groups influencing the politicians and what they do, and the donors uh, that are funding Penn and other you know prestigious universities and and the power they have to make presidents do what they want. But there's a perfect storm of the usual reactionary um, rhetoric that that turns things on its head, like the anti-critical race theory stuff, the re the reverse racism stuff, uh, what have you, which is total bullshit in a way that the liberals will push back against, right? Except here, you have that combined with the the liberal diversity, equity, inclusion kind of myopia, where they won't take a stand and actually claim who is actually the oppressed group, who is, you know, they, they need to be neutral in a sense, and they have to, um, you know, defend things in the abstract. And so you have this is the problem. You have actual anti-Semitism in the world, of course. This is a real problem, unlike reverse racism, right? Unlike white genocide. Right. Um, and so, so the liberals get kind of, you know, co-opted by the reactionary forces into flipping on its head who actually is the oppressed group in this current genocide. Um, and so it seems to me, what do you think about that kind of perfect storm of reactionary liberal, you know, well, collusion? look, Chris Ruffo like said they were going to do this like a month ago. He's like, we're going to we're going to make Hamas like a Black Lives Matter DEI uppity uppity, you know, black professional thing. And we're going to go scour social media and try to find the most sort of distorted things we can take out of context. And we're going to create a panic around it. And liberal Zionists are going to go along with it because they agree with our ends. Um, it's all because what they've always wanted to do is do like a, a reverse racism, oppressed white people thing, but that hasn't really caught on. So what they've realized is they can kind of do it by proxy, by taking various groups that are viewed as kind of white adjacent. They did this with like a lot of the anti-Asians um, hate crime stuff. Uh, Rufo was very clear about this, that they were going to take hatred of Asians and use it to get rid of affirmative action, which they did, which they tried to do and in some ways succeeded at doing. And now they're taking anti-Semitism, again, something that is almost exclusively to the right, not entirely, but it's, it is it is largely a right-wing thing. And they're going to make it a left-wing thing so they can kind of um, have uh, American Jewish institutions on their side as they do a kind of a reverse racism gambit. Uh, and they love taking down, again, high-profile black uh, academic or professionals, right? This is sort of their big kind of uh, visual uh, uh, crucible they love to do. Um, and they're going to just keep doing that, going after the eggheads, the academics and liberal Zionists and liberal, li pro liberal, liberal groups, or liberal pro Israel groups are going to go along with it because they, they share a kind of mutual hatred of a lot of these organizations, which have not really fallen in line. And so, um, again, it's all just, it's all just smoke. I don't know what we're fucking talking about here. Um, like it's every single time they, they go on and on about this theoretical. It's like the, I think of the, the Jim Carrey line in the Truman show when he's like, 
who are you talking to? Like, like what, like, <laughs> what, 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 what are you talking about? What theoretical chip, what are people being sent into fucking like, uh, are people being bombed in at Columbia university? Are people being, are people being driven off their land at, at Stanford? I, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And, and everybody, meanwhile, Palestinian kids are being shot in Vermont right. at, at a college. Like, yeah. actually, <laughs> and it's not like there isn't anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is saying this, the, the, you know, anti-Semitism is fucking oxygen. It's in the air. It's everywhere. It's yeah. the oldest form yeah. of racism in, 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 in Europe. It's, it's sort of like, and, and the same people are defunding the higher institutions ability to go after the actual anti-Semitism because you actually need money and resources to implement actual inquiries into real anti-Semitism on campus. I right? mean, J.D. Vance can't go five seconds without talking about great replacement theory. And he, like, we're not talking about J.D. Vance. Like, we're not talking about people who pander to actual anti-Semites. But of course, we're not talking about Trump or Trumpism. Um, yeah. This committee was put on by Trump people. This is ridiculous. Everyone knows this is ridiculous. I mean, Trump, Trump and Trump allies. How many fucking Holocaust deni- uh, deniers has this guy fundraised with or partied with? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, everybody knows it's a sham. It's just you know, as long as we're all taking our eye off the ball and not not looking at the 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 sort of ten kid, you know, kid killed every ten minutes, then then they've then they've then they've won. Yeah, to your point, Adam, Stefanik herself, uh, you know, her last uh, couple of reelection campaigns were pretty much uncut great replacement, you know, white supremacist right. conspiracy theory, which was explicitly the motivation of that guy who shot up the synagogue in Pittsburgh, the, the tree of life synagogue. Yeah. And yeah, it, it demonstrates the, uh, the good faith, uh, or the total. Oh, everyone, everyone here is the super good faith, man. This is, <laughs> this is, this is the Super Bowl of good faith. This is, this is, this is, yeah, this is the super, this is the all time good faith party. All everyone's super good faith. Everyone's deeply concerned with, 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 protecting vulnerable populations i'm sure yeah but i think that's probably a good place to stop um yeah uh, call your senator or member of congress uh if you are so inclined um but in uh in the meantime thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode